Witness to Yesterday, the podcast of the Champlain Society. My name is Patrice Dutit. I've said it here on this podcast, in presentations and in print, most recently in an article in the Dorchester Review, that I think the CBC television has done a really terrible job of presenting Canadian history, especially when one compares its performance with other public broadcasters, such as the BBC, France 2, and of course, PBS. Monica MacDonald has caused me to rethink my position by exploring what the CBC has produced since television was first turned on in Canada in 1952. Her book is Recasting History, How CBC Television Has Shaped Canada's Past, and it is a captivating read. It is published by McGill-Queens University Press. To talk about it, we reached Dr. MacDonald, who leads the research unit at the Canadian Museum of Immigration at her office in Halifax. Monica McDonald, welcome to the Champlain Society podcast. Thank you, Patrice. I'm happy to be here on Witness to Yesterday Redux. As you know, Witness to Yesterday was a history program yes. on global television and TV in the mid-1970s. So I'm very pleased to be on your Witness to Yesterday. Well, I have to tell you, uh, it's not an accident. I was... A, a, a huge fan of this show when I was a, a young teenager. And Patrick Watson, I thought, did wonderful, wonderful work. He had all sorts of amazing guests, Canadians and and uh, Americans. And those shows, for me, were memorable. So, yes, that's why we chose this title. <laughs> now, Monica, you're the witness to yesterday for this episode. Can you give us a sense of what CBC television programs on Canadian history were like when they first came out? Well, one of the aims of CBC Television was to produce programming that helped to create a sense of national identity, and that was also educational. That was very important in those days. Uh, Canadian history was the perfect vehicle for that, especially where documentaries and document docudramas were concerned, which is the focus of my book. So the content focused on people and events who were thought to be instrumental to the building and shaping of Canada. So shows on explorers like Radisson and Champlain, war heroes like Wolf and Montcalm, politicians like Johnny MacDonald, events like the fall of Quebec and Confederation. The presentation took a number of forms because this was a time of great experimentation on CBC television. These programs were a combination of narrated pieces with archival film and stills, first person testimony, expert commentary, sometimes with dramatized parts in the mix. And a number of them were also produced by the National Film Board because in these early years, right, the board was expected to provide content for the CBC because they had a similar mandate and both were in the business of producing visual media. So these ones from the board were basically uh, short dramatic films in the form of three acts. Let's get to the meat of your argument. You use the expression recasting history in your title. How do you think CBC Television did this? Well, all history that historians have written is in a way recasting the history that has been written before. So maybe it's ba based on new evidence or a new angle on old evidence or a new perspective. So on the surface, 
it would appear that what the CBC has done in terms of Canadian history is not all that different from what historians do all the time. But the difference is that history on television is more about television than it is about history. What has driven the content of these programs is more the CBC mandate, trends in television broadcasting and the television industry as a whole, the visual and other requirements of television as medium, and especially more recently, what CBC producers themselves have seen to be important as content. So they have taken written history, oral history, visual history, and transformed or recast it into another animal altogether, which is uh, history on television. Right. What, we're sort of, let's start with the 50s. I mean, that's where your book begins, and that's, of course, where television begins. Uh, now, you mentioned uh, war heroes, uh, explorers. These were all men. Um, why do you think that they picked those topics in, in the 50s? Is it because the producers were all men? Or was there a rationale, do you think, um, that goes beyond the obvious in this case? Well, what I have found is that really the program themes and subjects and interpretations were fairly consistent over the years. In the earlier days, they really followed the historiography quite well, um, not so much because it was about the history, but because they worked very closely with historians of Canada at the time. And they were similar in that almost all of them promoted ideas about national identity and national unity. So these were the programs on war, like the Seven Years' War, the American Revolution, the War of 1812, the two world wars, national politics, big events of national unity. So we're seeing Confederation, the building of the CPR, the Canadian Pacific Railway, relations between French and English Canada, big focus on Central Canada. Um, now, these are important themes and subjects in Canadian history, but what I have found is that we didn't really get anything but that. So, for example, we haven't seen treatments of the larger social or cultural movements that are perhaps not based on singular big events. We haven't seen regional histories of Canada at least explored on their own terms and not just as part of the big national story. And we really have not, and we still don't see context or consequences of these big events. For example, what happened to Indigenous peoples in this country after the beginning of European settlement and colonization? There aren't many topics, I would argue, more relevant to Canadians today than that one. So people want to know, you know, why are all these statues coming down? Why are these names of streets and buildings being changed? What do people have against Johnny McDonald now? Who better to inform the Canadian public on this history than our national public service broadcaster? But again, we're going back to the 50s. Did I hear you correctly? I mean, you do bring this out in the book. Mm -hmm. there were actually, they, actually had, they actually had scholars on TV. Yes, absolutely. A lot of the scholars were on television, the historians of Canada. So we saw Donald Creighton. We saw Jack Saywell. We saw a lot of Charles Stacey, C.P. Stacey, um, even Arthur Lower, Frank Underhill, um, Ramsey Cook a little bit later. So they worked very closely with the producers of uh, Canadian History on CBC Television. They were both 
uh, part of a sort of a Canadian intelligentsia that really believed in educating people about history and really building a sense of Canada. You know, these were the early days of Canadian history as well. So these scholars were first trying to find sort of a common ground on which to build Canadian history uh, stories and um, and narratives. And yet, uh, your book your book reveals. Um... And it's the wonderful part about the book. I mean, you're 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 very descriptive. Well, we, uh, I mean, reading it, I can actually see the images in my mind. That's great. That was my goal. <laughs> it, it worked very well. The CBC would pick topics like the fall of Quebec. Uh, this is in 1959, the 200th anniversary of the Battle of the Plains of Abraham, uh, or Lord Durham. Why did they pick such divisive topics? I mean, it's pretty bold, isn't it? <laughs> it is really bold. And the Fall of Quebec that was produced for the 200th anniversary of that event in 1959. So the CBC did feel compelled to do something to mark that event. And certainly the half hour program they ended up doing, which was uh, broadcast in the anthology series called Explorations, it was a much diminished program from the one the CBC had been envisioning. And the reason they diminished it was the very thing you mentioned, because even just the planning of it had become very divisive. They did run it on explorations, but it wasn't what they had originally planned to do. So they were careful, but they were still quite bold, as you say, to, to run something like that. And, you know, that's great. The program on Lord Durham. Yes, at the beginning of the Quiet Revolution. That's right, yeah. Uh, way far back, which also ran on explorations, was really the idea of the historian they had been working with. So I just mentioned that they worked very closely in those days with historians of Canada. And Jack Saywell, he was a professor at York University. He was the Dean of Arts. He was quite young. Uh, good-looking, smart, very articulate. He had all the requirements for television, let's say. And he loved working on these programs, and they loved working with him. Yes. Um, so he wrote, consulted on, or hosted a number of these early programs for ex explorations. So the Lord Durham program, Saywell said he was interested at the time in the varying crises over time in English-French relations. So Lord Durham and his report were certainly a fitting topic for that. And Eric Koch, who was the producer of that series, really relied on Saywell a lot for coming up with ideas and, as I said, co-writing, helping to produce, acting as host on these series. They worked really well together. It's a feature, this alliance of historians, professional historians, and producers is, is really quite startling. Um, that was a real discovery for me. Now, you mentioned this Mr. Koch. You, you mentioned him in the book. What kind of programming entrepreneur was this man? Uh, and were there others around him like this? Yes, there were. So Eric Koch in the early days was a real advocate of Canadian history programs. He was a Jewish man from Germany who was in London during the Second World War and then found himself in Canada imprisoned for a brief time himself as an enemy alien until Canadian officials realized the error of that situation. So he ended up at CBC Radio first 
and then moved to television. And he was pretty adamant about CBC as an educational institution. And that for their history programs, that historians like Saywell and others, and other subject matter experts be involved in these programs. He said that he himself didn't know much about Canadian history, so he relied on, a lot on Saywell. So as I mentioned, they collaborated on a number of history projects and they remained friends right up until the end of their lives. So I had the privilege of interviewing them both before they passed away and they were both still telling stories, funny stories about each other. That's nice to hear. So you actually had a chance to interview them. I did. How did you organize this? I'm curious. It's just a matter of getting in touch and sitting down with them? Absolutely. They were more than happy to talk to me at length. I tracked them down, emailed them cold, and asked if I could interview them. This was this book was based on my PhD dissertation, so I think they took pity on me a little bit as a student, too. <laughs> but it was wonderful. They were really... Um, generous with their time and, and knowledge. Well, I'm sure they were flattered that you were paying attention to their work of so long ago. Well, they were really happy to talk about it, too. I could tell that it was something they were really proud of. So you were talking about uh, programming entrepreneur. I would really, that's a good way to describe Eric. The other person I would say who was a real champion of Canadian history on CBC was Milton Nash. Now, where Koch said that he was not a journalist, but more of a television program organizer and producer, Nash was a real journalist journalist. He also had the view that Canadian history was necessary to really inculcate, if you will, in Canadians a sense of identity and get them all on a common page, so to speak. Now, he was head of the Department of Information Programming in the 70s, so he was also concerned about viewership and ratings and things like that. But that's where he and Eric were really on the same page, I would say. Now, for our younger audience uh, that may not remember this or know this, Knowlton Nash became the anchor of the National, the, the uh the national broadcast, the news bulletin broadcast, how do you call it, the news, the news show? Mm -hmm, national news, yeah. So Noel Nash was, um, he had quite a, a background at the CBC. He started out as a journalist in the 50s. He had a very significant posting in Washington where he was interviewing people like Robert Kennedy and Che Guevara. And in fact, when I interviewed Nolan Nash at his home, he showed me a wall of photos and he had a photo of himself cutting sugarcane in Cuba with Che Guevara. So that was pretty cool. But he came back to the CBC in the late 60s and in 1969 became head of information programming where he oversaw a lot of these history documentaries and docudramas that I cover in the book. Now he left in 1978 to become, as you say, the news anchor and senior journalist uh, for the National News. So this was before the era of Peter Mansbridge for um, people of a certain age who may remember the, the time before Peter Mansbridge. <laughs> now, one of the triumphs of Knowlton Nash was working with Pierre Burton. Yes. Uh, can you give us a sense of how they worked together, how Pierre Burton, another journalist, but one who uh, was very well known to the CBC audience, uh, worked with Knowlton Nash to bring out uh, the national dream? It's quite a story. Mm-hmm. So um, I think by triumph, you mean 
mass audience appeal, um, then yes, you're quite right. So Pierre Burton probably needs no description from me, but by the time the National Dream started production in the early 1970s, he was already very well known as a print journalist and as a television personality, and of course as the author of popular history books, including the very popular books on which the series was based, which were The National Dream and um, The Last Spike, published in uh, 1970 and 1971. And The National Dream does have a great behind-the-scenes story, and I really had great fun writing that chapter. I mean, you can't lose with that cast of characters. So you had not only Pierre Burton, but also Milton Nash, Lister Sinclair was involved for a while, Timothy Findlay, who was then relatively unknown as a playwright or novelist, um, his partner William Whitehead, and then all the great actors, too, like William Hutt and John Colico. So Burton just kind of bulldozed his way through it, controlling pretty much everything. The research, of course, and the scripts, but also the filming, the actors, the editing, the locations. Definitely his time on screen, which he never felt was enough. <laughs> but even things like the contract process for the French dubbing of the series, he felt that was being handled really poorly. So he made his views known about that too. So that was really unheard of for someone outside the organization. And as I say, it was quite fun to read the archival correspondence among all the players and seeing, for example, Nolan Nash starting to lose it a little bit over Burton's demands. And so, of course, that's a great privilege as a historian, reading the other end of correspondence yes. that correspondents themselves are not aware of at the time. But it really is the high watermark uh, in terms of audiences, isn't it? The, the, there is a huge following in Canada for that show. That's right. And, you know, when you look at it today, when you, when you view it today, I mean, the content is obviously dated, but... As a TV series, it holds up fairly well. Which says a lot. Now, I want to stay for an extra minute here. I want to stay on the, on the 50s and 60s. Reading your book, I get the impression that there's not a whole lot going on on CBC television during Canada's centennial. Am I wrong here? No, actually, there was quite a bit um, on the centennial, but it was mostly one-off series features. Um, there was some material being done in the um, regions which didn't make it really on the national network. Um, one dramatized series that aired nationally was something called Reluctant Nation, which again involved Eric Hock and Jack Saywell. Ramsey Cook was involved too. That was a six-part series that had actors playing historical figures like the Fathers of Confederation, interviewed by actors playing reporters. So not unlike Witness to Yesterday that we started out with. Um, CBC Radio did a lot for the Centennial. They had the Voice of the Pioneer and the History of Canada, which was 52 half hours from the CBC International Service that had substantial involvement from historians. So there was some material that was somewhat substantial, but really not like the other series that I cover in the book. 
series like Explorations or Images of Canada. That's right. So they had, you know, mostly one-off programs, features, older repurposed material like from the NFB that was, you know, as I say, sort of superficial and celebratory as you would have for a centennial. Now there is, uh, and I've mentioned this, this uh, docudrama before, uh, Radisson is uh, uh, a docudrama that is broadcast in the late 50s, and D'Iberville is broadcast in the late 1960s, both, both 39 episodes each, um, big historical docudramas. What are your thoughts on those two works? Yes, I mentioned them only in passing in the book because they were essentially dramas, and I focused on documentaries or docudramas. But Radisson, at least, is a very interesting case. So in the 1950s, um, one of the big problems that CBC television had was trying to figure out how to compete with American programming. Radisson was the first attempt at the CBC to try to come up with a historical hero who could compete with American popular culture, in this case, the enormously popular Davy Crockett. The historical Radisson was a 17th century explorer who came to New France as a young man and worked for, the both, worked for both the French and the English in the fur trade. So another attraction to Radisson was that the CBC producers thought he would appeal to both English and French Canadian children. One producer even said at the time that Radisson represented the duality of Canada. It was the first Canadian television series shot fully on location and shot both in English and French instead of being filmed in one language and then dubbed in the other. So they sunk a lot of money into the two years it ran with all kinds of merchandising tie-ins and whatnot, which was pretty much unheard of for the day, and there was a lot of hype in the press about it. So this was 1957, 1958 that it ran. And then that was it. It was just not very good even for the television standards of the day despite all the money that they had pumped into it uh my feeling is that they just didn't have the experience with that kind of a show yet on cbc television um there were some good things about it um but it, the consensus with that is just was kind of a bust. Zuberville will be done 10 years later. That's right. And and that fared quite a bit better. Now, that was a similar attempt to create sort of a historical hero, this time uh, created by Radio-Canada and then running on the English network after. And it was a co-production with French, Belgian, and Swiss broadcasters. So it was a more successful production, I would say. Okay, let's put aside docudrama. Well... There's a little bit of docudrama here. You devote an entire chapter to the valor and the horror. Um, this was a, broad, a series broadcast in the early 1990s. What was the story here? What made it so controversial? So the valor, valor and the horror was a three-part series um, in 1992. It was timed to coincide with the period marking the anniversary of the Second World War. So the episodes focused on Canadians serving in Hong Kong, in Bomber Command, and in the Normandy campaign. It was a co-production of the CBC with the National Film Board and Gala Film, which was an independent film company. So the filmmakers worked for Gala Film. 
The aim of the filmmakers was to debunk the standard narratives about Canada and Canadians in the Second World War, which they believed were faulty. They wanted to, as I said at the time, set the historical record straight because historians of Canada, among others, had got it all wrong. Their main premise was that Canadian soldiers had been badly used and badly led, basically duped in many respects by the Canadian government and military officials. And sure enough, after the broadcast, there was a lot of backlash resulting in three public inquiries. So there was a Senate subcommittee on veteran, Veterans Affairs who had hearings on it and reported. The CBC Ombudsman produced a report and the CRTC produced a report as well. The first two came down against the series for having misleading and inaccurate content. And the CRTC, which reviewed the series just in terms of the Broadcasting Act regulations, cleared it, saying that it did not contravene the Act. And, you know, I should note, there were lots of defenders of the series, too, including some professional historians. And uh, there was also a general consensus that the first episode on Canadians in Hong Kong was well done. But it really touched off a controversy for, for the first time, a controversy regarding how the CBC treats history. Yes, absolutely. So there has been a lot written on it. My focus uh, about the Valor and the Horror was also on the framing and presentation of the series, which I found added to and overlap with the content problems. For example, the filmmakers used actors speaking direct to camera, but using words that were not always completely ver verbatim from the real people they were representing, or that were really representative of a situation. And it was not always transparent how voices from the past or information from written testimony was being used. The other thing is that the filmmakers stated that theirs was a journalist's approach to history as opposed to a historian's approach. But in my view, it was not very solid as a work of history or as a work of journalism. Right. And it, but it illustrates what a transition, and you document this in your book, from a period in the late nineteen in the late nineteen fifties and sixties when there is a close association between scholars and producers, then moving into the hands of journalists, Pierre Burton, Knowlton Nash, and then moving into a co-production with a private firm, uh, in this case, as you said, Gallifilm, um, where it seems as though history seems to be slipping away from the CBC, and yet and yet Canada, a people's history, which will come out in the late 1990s, seems to be representative of the CBC um, re recasting itself as, as, as a producer of television history. Am, am, I, uh, am I accurate in describing it this way? Mm -hmm. I think so. So in the early days, as you mentioned, you had the producers like Eric Koch and others like Vincent Tobel and George Robertson. They work very closely with the historians like, as I mentioned, Saywell, Creighton, Stacy, Ramsey Cook. But by 1970, the new producers of history on television, so this coincides with Knowlton Nash's tenure as well, were identifying as professional journalists. So Cox, Tobell, and Robertson did not describe themselves that way. They described themselves as program organizers, producers, and television directors. 
So by 1970, journalism had become more professionalized with professional journalism schools, a set of professional codes and standards that had some who were producing Canadian history programs on CB at CBC thinking that their work was actually at odds with the work of professional historians. So that was quite a change, as you say, uh, from what had happened before. So they had a belief in complete objectivity, a skepticism for established narratives, and a belief that you had to interrogate authority at every turn. So that was at the heart of it. And this emerged largely from the type of reporting in the United States at the time with the civil rights movement and the Vietnam War and and Watergate. So yeah, so it just continued from there. And one chapter in my book is about the series Images of Canada that aired sporadically between 1972 and 1976. So that was the last one on CBC television where historians had substantial involvement in writing, editing, hosting, narrating, interviewing, and being interviewed. After that, it was largely journalists producing history on television. Tell us about Canada, a people's history. How does that, what does that represent in the history of the CBC and history? The thinking about people's history really started in 1995. So it was just after the referendum on Quebec sovereignty, which saw Canada narrowly carrying the day. And that got CBC producers thinking about their mandate to strengthen national identity and consciousness. Then also the millennium was coming, so a big anniversary, which is always attracted to television producers of history programming. So that was kind of the thinking behind producing that series. Um, and it really made sense for the CBC to do so. Now, it cost around $30 million to make, so that was a huge amount. And it was pretty successful in terms of viewership. They had just over a million viewers average for each episode in the season. But I think it's engaging as a television series and as a straight story. But as a documentary about the history of Canada, especially one where they got a lot of advice from historians... I see a missed opportunity there to get some different perspectives and, and some complexity instead of showing the history of Canada as one linear narrative constantly marching towards the sunset. It's very difficult to do this in one production. Yes, it is. But they had a lot of episodes. They had a lot of screen time, um, 32 hours. And, you know, they had Ramsey Cook, Jean-Claude Robert, Olive Dickinson as advisors they would have been great to see on screen, don't you think? I agree. I agree. Um, and then we have Canada, The Story of Us, which came out in 2017. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yes. How do you rate that show? Well, that was pretty much a bust. Uh, again, I see it as a missed opportunity. I think they made a mistake there by basing that template on the American and Australian series that was basically the same thing, except obviously it was different content. So they had a template and a format that they just put Canadian history into. They didn't have a whole slate of historians as advisors. They had celebrities giving their opinions on historical events and people. Um, it just didn't work, and it resulted in pretty much a backlash 
not to the same extent that the Valor and the Forum was a backlash, but there was a lot of people really upset about the misleading content. Monica, of all the products that you analyzed for this book, which one do you think was the best? Or which show or series did you enjoy the most? There were aspects that I liked and disliked in all of them. I have to say I enjoyed the earlier programs from explorations like the Winnipeg General Strike and the War of 1812 series. Now, the history in it is especially the War of 1812 one, and that was a four-part series again with Jack Saywell and others. The history in it is pretty dated, but I like the presentation. It gets you thinking about history as a process of discovery a bit more rather than just a straight story being told. Now, can I assume that you're you're quite a fan of historical documentaries? <laughs> Is there something that uh, that you've seen recently, Canadian or, or or not Canadian? I mean, is there is there any uh, program or series that you've seen that you'd recommend? Mm -hmm. Well, that's true. I am a huge fan, and there are so many that I like. Unfortunately, I'm also very critical. Oh, we like that. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the book, right? But one where, which is quite old now, but where I keep forgetting to be critical when I, because I still watch it from time to time, is a series called The World at War. Oh, yes. So you know it. It, it dates from the mid-1970s, but it's a British documentary series about the Second World War, 26 episodes, and produced, interestingly enough, not by the BBC, but by Thames Television, which was a commercial broadcaster. The CBC had a very small production affiliation with it, which was the reason I watched it in the first place. But it uses a lot of film and stills, first-person interviews, including with some historians, and while about half of it is about the actual campaigns of the Second World War, the other half is about related matters. There's a pretty good social history element there, too, for a series like that. So I really like that series. Oh, let me let me be indulgent here. Indulge myself. Please do. <laughs> There's another series of that vintage that I really enjoyed, and it was called The Mighty Continent, presented by Peter Ustinov. Have you ever seen that one? I have not seen that one. Well, uh, somebody somebody must have it somewhere. Well, actually, that leads me to the next question, uh, which is the classic Champlain Society question. Uh, you mentioned that you interviewed the key people who made these shows possible. Uh, can you tell us about the sources that you used for for your book? And, and what about these productions? Is it possible for us to see those shows today? Much of the archival material on which I base my book is pretty readily available. I don't believe it's been used a lot in other publications, but it is accessible at Library and Archives Canada and other repositories. Now, the actual television programs, you can view them and order them from Library and Archives Canada, the early ones. The ones from the National Film Board, you can view them, I believe, through the National Film Board site. Now, you probably have to subscribe. I think I know you do for some of them, but not all. The Canada People's History 
is online as well. Again, I believe you have to subscribe. I think there's some episodes on YouTube, though. And then I think most libraries would have copies of the more recent series and the National, and the National Dream as well. So they are out there. They're probably not as accessible as I would like to see them, mm-hmm. but they are there. Well, again, reading your book really, you know, compelled me to say, I'd like to see these shows. I, I don't, I don't recall seeing these shows, and and it would be nice to uh, to to see them, especially given uh, your treatment of them and. And the enthusiasm uh, with which you, you describe them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Thank you. Oh, my, my pleasure. Let's talk about you for a second. Um, you write in the preface that the notion of writing a book on this topic came to you when you were working at Library and Archives Canada, and you were coordinating research for Canada of People's History. Um, you've been working at the Canadian Museum of Immigration in Halifax as a manager of research. What are your thoughts today about how historical museums could be working with producers and broadcasters to generate more content? I mean, they do this in Britain and in France and to some degree in the U.S. Where do you, where do you sit given your various backgrounds? Well, it's funny because I just had a conversation with a colleague about this last week. I think it would be a great idea to work with CBC television or any television broadcaster especially with a national um, reach, I don't think there's any reason it couldn't happen. The National Museums in Canada really have a wealth of material and expertise. And I think here I can speak for all of us when I say that we are always looking for ways to turn Canadians onto Canadian history. So that would be a great way to do it. I think it's an enormous opportunity that's been lost. Well, there's always a future, Patrice. (laughs) (laughs) I I would hope to see an alliance because the reality is that the CBC's efforts in history are, to say the least, sporadic. And as as I said at the introduction, uh, compared to the diet of history that we get from the BBC uh, or from PBS, uh, anybody who watches TV5 in Canada is exposed to a constant stream of French history. The absence of the CBC on this is pretty startling. Well, I have to agree with you. And even if they just looked into their own archives, and as you say, you have not seen a lot of these programs. So if you haven't seen them, probably most people haven't. And it would be fascinating for Canadians. And I believe Canadians are really interested in their history. They just don't see it very much. And if it was was on our national public broadcaster, I think they would watch it. I want to finish with this question. You write that you hope that your book will encourage television producers to interpret and present history. I'm going to quote you here, not just as a single uncontested narrative, but rather as a complex accounts arising from multiple perspectives. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that if you look at Canada People's History, for example, there's a lot commendable about that series. But where it falls short, I think, is that it presents Canadian history as a linear narrative, sort of marching towards the sunset. We don't see other perspectives. We don't really see a lot of complexity. We don't see consequences of some of these big events, like the building of the railway, confederation, um, colonization. So that's what I mean by that. I think 
it would be fascinating for Canadians. I think they want to see some complexity. They want to see what people are thinking about Canadian history, not just a straight story given to them. I think there'd be a lot of appetite for that. I agree, but it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of money. It can take a lot of money with if you really focus on computer-generated imaging, getting really high production values, being um, having a lot of episodes in a series, you know, it can get quite expensive. And of course, you want to look like everything else that's on television right now. So you, if the CBC does present something like Canada People's History, I mean, they were very much influenced by the Civil War by Ken Burns. And that was pretty slick looking and they didn't want to look like they were falling short. I don't think they did, but it took millions of dollars to do that. So that's one of the one reason why I think there's a big hesitation for CBC to do this, but it doesn't have to be so complex. As I mentioned, they could start small by reaching into their own archives and perhaps use some of these earlier programs as a basis for a conversation about history. Look, this is what we had for history programs in the 1950s and 60s. What would we do differently now? Have a conversation with historians, maybe show some um, moving images in film, use CBC's own archive there too for um, if there's something to be presented from the 20th century in terms of CBC's own broadcasts. There's a, there's a lot in the CBC archives that I think they could be using and repurposing. Well, I, uh, I agree with you, and I hope that uh, people are listening and that uh, the CBC will, will finally see the light and start producing a history that, uh, that is comparable uh, to what other broadcasters, other public broadcasters are generating and um, shed some light on a story that we all think is uh, utterly fascinating, which was the story of Canada. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Monica, for, uh, for this interview. Thank you for your insights and for your book. Well, my pleasure, Princess. Thanks so much for having me. My guest today was public history specialist Monica McDonald. Her book is Recasting History, How CBC Television Has Shaped Canada's Past. It was published by McGill-Queens University Press. You've been listening to Witness to Yesterday, the Champlain Society podcast on Canadian history. Please visit our website at champlainsociety.ca where you'll find more about what the Society does. There's a place to become a member and a sustainer of the Society if you like these conversations with historians about Canada's past. Please let people know how much you like these dialogues by using whatever social media you use. We'd be really proud of your support. This podcast is made possible by the members of the Champlain Society who are making an investment in the hard work of bringing to life original documents in Canadian history. Thank you. Thanks also to the Hudson's Bay Company History Foundation, the L.R. Wilson Institute of History at McMaster University, and a consortium of Canadian scholarly book publishers that includes the University of Toronto Press, the University of British Columbia Press, and the University of Ottawa Press. My name is Patrice Dutille. This interview was recorded in the middle of a pandemic on September 2nd, 2020, by our highly skilled producer, Jessica Schmidt. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time.